Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Tuesday, December 8th, back to our regular scheduled dates. And uh, yeah, John, who was number one in your Spotify raft this year? Mm, this Who do you know? All right. I had, as an artist, was The Killers. And, oh, wow. Yep, still, still. And, I love it. Okay. And then um, number one uh, song is a song called Red Hearse by the band Red Hearse. Um, the whole album is amazing. Just, just shout out to them. How about you? Major respect. You're way cooler than I am. Uh, mine was a DJ by the name of Porter Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he put out a, he was supposed to be putting out a new album this summer, his first one in several years. And then, uh, COVID hit. So he didn't, but before COVID hit, he released like three new songs, two or three new songs. And he has one called, um, something comforting, which was really good. And so that was my number one song. And then I've also realized in looking through that, like I have so much music that I'm just going to listen to every year a lot forever. Cause there were like four songs in my top 10 that came out like no earlier than three or four years ago <laughs> or no later than I suppose. And you know, that's okay. I'm okay with like, to your point, the killers, if it's good music, it's good music. You know, you're probably sitting there wondering if you have the right podcasts queued up because we're talking <laughs> about music. There is a reason, and we want to thank those uh, folks who who managed uh, to to get the only podcast in their top pods uh, for Spotify's 2020 Wrapped. We're going to thank you individually. Thank you to everyone who's been listening to us this entire year. It's been an odd year. We're we're pumped that we were along for all the ride for at least part of it with you guys. But shout outs go to specifically um, longtime fan and our dear friend Sarah G on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sarah. Arpan Lobo, awesome. Thank you so much for listening um, and also for tweeting us and keeping us in line. Um, Marissa, I think I'm going to get this right, Rouge, or it could be Rug. And um, as as she knows, as a longtime listener, I am terrible at pronouncing anyone's names regardless, so <laughs> she takes that endearing. as a compliment. Uh, Robert Stefanik also keeps us incredibly honest um, on, on the Twitter and finds and shares with us the best punting uh, out there in the, in the wide world of football. So we appreciate that. Jason Schwager probably said that name wrong again. Um, thank you for listening. And I'm again, take it as a compliment for getting it wrong. 
Number one water fan, Nick Nickley, um, saved my life last week. I was playing Good Rocket, Bad Rocket, and things got a little out of hand. He reminded me to have a drink of water, and that was a really, really good thing for me because it was a school night. I was getting a little out of control. I have a newborn now. I can't be acting like this. So <laughs> thank you, Nick. And finally, uh, thanks to one cool Nate um, who is, believe, shipping off here um, in service of our great nation. So thank you, Nate, for always listening, and um, good luck and safe travels to you. Yes, the huge uh, – I echo all of those sentiments from you, John. Um, Nate, wherever you are, hope you're hope you're staying safe and uh, looking forward to, to hearing where you're listening from. But seriously, thank you from everyone. I know we, we we like to joke around here on the pod, but uh, it is pretty uh, flattering, you know, to hear and see that we're, you know, people actually listen to our stupid ramblings from time to time. So it's nice. Thank you, guys. We appreciate it. Um, hey, listen, John, there were some sports last week. Let's uh, do it. And the main one was the men's basketball team. As you guys heard on our emergency pod, we we didn't really get into the big win of the three last week, but we're going to get to there now. Michigan State, last Tuesday, I believe, went on the road and won in Cameron Indoor Stadium for the first time under Tom Izzo. You know, you don't know the team that plays there. That's Duke. John, go ahead. Okay. Well, um, you know, it's a you know it's a fun game, an important game. When um, unbeknownst to me, the the basketball game goes to a media timeout, and I find myself laying on the floor, and I I don't know how (laughs) I got there. (laughs) Found myself doing that in this game a few times. Gutty win. Couldn't have stuck. If you remember, and this was, feels like ages ago, there couldn't have been a worse start to this game, Austin. Oh my God. Yeah. It came it, out it, lost. And it felt like one of those, it, it feels like every year, you know, MSU plays such a ridiculous schedule at the beginning, beginning of every single basketball season, but it, and it seems like every year though, there's one where you come out and it's usually against Duke, just like it was in this game a year ago where you just, just dump your pants just right away. And you're like, okay, well, we're not going to win this game. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to get frisky in the second half, bring it to within single digits, and then give up like back-to-back threes and lose. And it feels like that happens once a year. And I, it's funny, I was talking to a couple people before this one tipped off, and everyone's like, yep, this is this is the one. This is where that happens. And yeah, John, to your point, to the first, I want to call it 10 minutes of this game, I mean, it was some of the uglier basketball that you're going to see, period, this year. The thing that was most confusing is, and I know it was only two games prior, but Michigan State had shared the ball so well. And then, um, you know, the first four minutes of this game, it was like just the ball stuck. It was all ISO shots. Um, and, and frankly, it was just kind of like, what are we doing here? We're kind of playing Duke's game. Duke played their um, standard, uh, you know, full court pick you up man to man defense that kind of had Michigan State shaken a bit. Rocket Watts um, looked like he didn't really know how to run an offense, um, which is understandable. The kid never really had to. He never did it in high school. He played for Spire Academy. Uh, as we talked about many times, his teammate was Mellow Ball. And to be honest, they didn't run a lot of offense, didn't need to. Um, and frankly, if Rocket passed the ball, you might not get it back when he was in high school. So, <laughs> you know, now he comes to a program like Michigan State and you know, he had a grace year where he got to come in and, and just kind of be a microwave. And then all of a sudden, you know, Cassius Winston is gone and people are saying, hey, buddy, here are the keys to the uh, Lambo. 
you know, you got to figure it out, pal. And uh, it's a tough transition. And, you know, at the beginning, he looked like he was uncomfortable with it. He's more comfortable playing um, kind of his own game, which is, you know, uh, it's just score on your own, on your own will, which is he's one of the better one-on-one players we've ever seen for Michigan right. State. Um, but, yeah, facilitating the ball, getting everyone else involved, not not one of his core strengths right now, which is okay. But um, what we did learn is when Rocket was struggling at the beginning there, um, Foster Lawyer came in and everyone held their breath like we had in years past, and he was more than serviceable in this game as a backup point guard, which is, I think, for Austin, exactly what everyone is just hoping he can provide um, against uh, upper-level competition. Yeah, I think what we've learned, and you know, obviously we're going to talk about the other games that happened this week, but Duke being the, the biggest learning opportunity, uh, I think we learned kind of pretty concretely that Foster is going to be able to get you non like net neutral minutes mm-hmm. uh, at, at a minimum. Um, now, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if you see a bunch of lines from Foster throughout the year where it's, you know, 12 minutes, not a ton of points, maybe a couple assists, but the bottom line is he's not the liability out there that I think we've seen uh, certainly previous years from him and from other like random down chart, down depth chart MSU players, specifically like ones and twos, I feel like throughout the years. I mean, you're talking like the, the popular name is always the, the Mike Keebler, but I even think of like a Colby Wollenman, like the, those names that started out. And, you know, when they first had to play, it was just like, oh, God, I hope this guy's not a, you know, every minute you are able to play with him not screwing up is like Mm -hmm. a a win. And I think that's how people probably felt, you know, with Foster in there. But I think what we, like I said, what we've learned is that, you know, now that he really, he just seems to have a better understanding of what he needs to do to be successful in whether that's shoot the open shot against a zone, which you saw him do in this game a couple of times, he made a three. Uh, or it's just continued to really facilitate more than anything else, which we've seen him do very well. Uh, make free throws at the end. I mean, he's, he's, he's coming to, he's, listen, he's not going to be even a top eight reason why this team is really good, but that doesn't make him unimportant. And, you know, against Duke, but listen, this is, I don't think this is a vintage Duke team. John, I think you would agree with that, but. Mm-hmm. You still went on the road to Cameron Indoor. You you still held up against top thirty recruits. I mean, you you still did something impressive here, Foster. And if you're a Michigan State fan, you can come away from that game feeling pretty good about his performance, even though it might not jump off the stat sheet. So, a couple takeaways, you know, just to kind of we've watched we watched him grow up last year. And again, we're five games in, um, but this is a guy who was playing seven and a half minutes last year, and everyone, as I mentioned, was on pins and needles during those seven and a half minutes. This year, you know, he's graduated to um, well over that. You know, now he's he's at 18 minutes a game. And I granted there have been four games that have been against lesser, I guess you would call it, three games against lesser competition. Um, so this number will go down a bit. But that's he's going to end up averaging well over double um, minutes yeah. per game, which is a godsend. And I think the most important part, like you said, you know, he's averaging um, a four-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. That's incredible. Got, and mm-hmm. That's not sustainable, but the fact that it's there, that's all you're really asking for. Just get other people involved. That's it. Yep. And don't be a liability I, on defense. 
Yeah, and, and listen, he's never going to be an, an amazing individual one-on-one defender, but you saw moments in this game where, you know, we saw it against Notre Dame where, and I think we can expect to see it quite a bit throughout this season, where bigger guards, Prentice Hub for Notre Dame, really posted him up and took advantage of his size. Again, we will see that quite a bit throughout the season, but you saw him fighting really hard against some of these guards that were trying to do that against him uh for Duke, and I just think that, at a minimum, like we talk about this with the football team where it's like, if you can just do the basics, anything above that is almost gravy. And I kind of look at it the same way with Foster where it's like, if you are just a net neutral, you are keeping the ball moving, you are fighting as hard as you can on defense and taking the shots when they're there, not pressing, just being smart, communicating that type of basic level basketball stuff. Um, that's all MSU could ever possibly ask for, really out of any backup point guard, but especially one who, you know, we've seen some limitations from in the, in the past. So yeah, I, huge credit to Foster for the way that he fought in this one. I think another massive win for Michigan State was having, uh, uncovering the fact that Julius Marble is maybe a lot more ready to play, uh, minutes than, than we would have thought coming into the year. I think coming into the year, you know, that, that four or five rotation was, Obviously, I think still is uh, pretty up in the air, but um, Julius Marble may be the one piece that everyone's kind of like, you know, if you get some nice minutes out of him, you get some nice minutes out of him, great. We saw way, way, way more aptitude from him uh, than just, hey, if you get minutes out of him uh, in this game. I mean, he made a baseline jumper. He had a couple emphatic blocks. I was really more than anything impressed with his individual defense on some of Duke's bigs. He's able to switch and, and kind of guard just about anybody and, um, listen, we've talked about it. That front court rotation still has a lot to work out, but having a weapon like that as coming into the year as your, what, your fourth, fifth mm-hmm. big, right. that's a nice thing to find. Yeah, absolutely. So, Here's, what Here's what happened with Julius. He he came in and he um, introduced Jalen Johnson to Power 5 basketball. And Jalen Johnson, he's going to be a stud. He's going to play in the NBA. He's going to be really good, frankly. But Julius Marble came in and, and kind of big boyed him. And mm-hmm. um, I think kind of shocked him. And I think, you know, the reason we're, we're spending so much time on these role players is because that's going to be the difference for this team. You know, like, we're going to line up with a lot of top 10 teams this year. And the starters are going to be pretty, you know, talent for talent, pretty equal. How do you, like, where's your advantage? And I think Michigan State's advantage is not just its depth, but figuring out the rotation and this depth, um, how good can it be? Julius Marble came in, big boy Jalen Johnson, out of the paint, so much so that Johnson had four rebounds. I think if you listen to the last podcast we had in his first game, he had 19. So he got completely moved out. And for the record, Foster Lawyer out-rebounded Jalen Johnson, which on its own is just an amazing statistic. Fantastic. Fantastic stat. And, um, you know, not it's not just Julius Marble who had a really nice game. I think Malik Hall will be forever underappreciated at Michigan State. He just simply well, seems to come in and be a minute, you know, he's just – it's positive minutes all the time. I think that this game against Duke was a really good matchup for Malik, or I think it really shows up again. We're talking about the role players, but that's what separates this team. I think from a lot of others in the country is that it's not just that they have so many different pieces, but they're experienced pieces. And, and Malik Hall, I mean, as a sophomore, you know, in college basketball, you're, you're basically elderly at that point. If you're a sophomore, it seems like so his, uh, 
this was a great matchup for him because he has that experience and really like he's a, uh, a slightly bigger version of Aaron Henry in terms of what his role is defensively, where he can kind of play, you know, he's thick enough where he can get down and guard a center if he has to, but he's quick enough that he can guard anything up through a wing if need be. And this Duke team was one of those that doesn't necessarily have traditional players at any spot aside from maybe Matthew Hurt as the, as the four. Um, but outside of that, you know, Hall's ability to to hang with just about anybody on the boards, make a couple jump shots, fight hard uh, on defense and switch, you know, I think made a big difference in this game. And you're right. I think when you, it's funny because when you go nine deep, there's a lot of praise that has to go around when the team plays well. And maybe that's why Malik will be underrated because there's just a lot of praise to go around. And he somehow manages to fly under the radar still, despite being obviously a major asset to the team. Well, and part of it is because, you know, he's a, Malik Hall is a quiet stat stuffer. Um, Aaron Henry is also a quiet stat stuffer, but does it at an even higher rate. You know, he, he's got, he's got potential all American written all over him. And I, and we're not even near his potential. You know, he's, he's still not shooting the ball very well. Um, but I mean, like at, you're looking at a guy who, who had a, <laughs> Right now, already, he's averaging uh, 12 points, 6 rebounds, over 5 assists, 2 steals, and 2 blocks a game. Like, that's just, I mean, that is everything you can want out of out of a player. And, and he's doing it playing 30 minutes a game. And so, um, you know, this, and he hasn't reached his potential yet. I'm really excited to see um, how much more Aaron Henry can, can grow. Um, because... Um, as he goes, seem and, and also you know guarding other teams' best players sometimes, yeah, uh, and, and switching on everything that's important. Um, it, it's just it's really it's it's so nice to have in a world of chaos a constant like Aaron Henry. So um, you know here's here's some weird stuff that happened also I wanted to bounce off you. This is the first ga- game I can remember in some time where uh, Tom Izzo was willingly playing somebody with two first half falls. He did that with Joey. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked, very pleased, and, but shocked. What did you think? Yeah. I mean, I honestly didn't even realize it was happening until I think you texted me about it. Um, but I love it. I mean, it's weird to say about a, a coach who is into his sixties, but it's, it seems like he's turning a new leaf in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe more than anything, I think it speaks to how, important especially right now Joey Hauser is to the to the success of this team uh especially offensively I mean you saw it really even more in the later two games in the week but it just what he brings from an offensive perspective from that position is something that MSU I mean I, I don't really know even the last time they, they really had that I, I suppose it would be Draymond or Adrian Payne in a way but but what Hauser does is just so much more modern I think than either of them in a way like he's he's a much more fluid athlete that painted he's a much better shooter uh than than draymond was even though mm-hmm. you know draymond obviously shot the ball very well but um how they're just a little bit different when it comes to that so uh, what he provides to this team and really what in, in a way a lot of the other bigs lack is just that dynamism to what he does offensively and i thought it was pretty you know it, it's funny because and we'll talk about it with uh, the Detroit game specifically, but is a likes to play these games. Like I, I have this, you know, we have this running joke that he would rather 
like he intentionally tanks some of these games sometimes early in the season to create the narrative of like being underrated and keeping his guys hungry and all that stuff. And I do think there, there's some truth to that, but uh, this would fly in the face of that reasoning because, you know, if you wanted to create a more difficult situation for your team, it would have, would have been very easy to do so by sitting Hauser on the bench here. So I think it shows how badly uh, Izzo wanted to win this one and how highly he values what Hauser can do. And I, I got to say, the two guys we just mentioned, Henry and Hauser, it's their team. I mean, yeah. it's also Rocket Watts' team, but like the, those two guys, I think you're, you're talking about two potential, like first team all Big Ten type of players. I mean, that, that's the caliber that we're getting. And I'll be honest, like what I've seen out of Joey Hauser is so much more impressive. And, and I know there was all the hype. I always try to not buy into it, in, you know, when it comes to some of that stuff, but, um, I think it was undersold at this point. And, and so was the development of Aaron Henry. I mean, his, his step forward has been incredible. So, I mean, these two guys are, I think the reason why Michigan state is, you know, maybe not surprising to this point in the year, but, but climbing the rankings as opposed to, to us asking questions about, you know, what are they going to be in the future? So Austin, this, this Duke game, the only watch out I had, and it's, it's hard to, to nitpick when you beat Duke on the road, even without fans. Right. But that's our That's what we do. And, and it was the third game in a row where Michigan State had kind of played the opponent's game and beat them at it, mm-hmm. which is great to be able to beat someone at their own game. But it reminded me a lot of that Miles and uh, Jaron Jackson yep. team that beat everybody at their own game, but never had their own identity. And that, that had bad consequences. And I said, well, I'm just going to file that one away. And maybe it was, you know, it's just been three games. Moving on to the Detroit Mercy game, Michigan State absolutely played Detroit into Detroit Mercy's hands. They played Detroit's game. They played a, frankly, a money ball game. There was yep. there was no rhyme or rhythm, and um, I'll I'll say it this this team came out fat and sassy, Austin. And <laughs> oh, yes, it's a, fat a and sassy, is- baby. A Tom isism. And, uh, and, you know, frankly, they just were lucky enough that those games are built for Rocket, the walking bucket Watts, but he, and he rescued them. He did it. So that that was just kind of frustrating, I think. And it's okay to have letdowns. That's, that's not the issue. The letdowns happen. But I think for me, it's like, I don't see Michigan State running an offense. Like, I don't see them adjusting. I don't yeah. see anyone stepping up as a captain right now and getting their heads on straight. So uh, that was my frustration. Yeah, I mean, it's an understandable frustration. I mean, this this was a frustrating game to watch. But, you know, where you are saying, oh, this just worked out perfectly for for Rocket and, and you know, Memish is not playing kind of, quote, unquote, their game. I think what he brings to the table is the ability for MSU to get out of their comfort zone and, and do those things without having to just out-talent you, which is what I think those Jaron and Miles teams did. They were they were just they were just two lottery picks. Like, that, that was just – it's what Kentucky does a lot and is not able to do this year, but is is what they do a lot. Is they're like, yeah, we're just way more talented than you. Like, that's what that MSU team did. This MSU team isn't talented enough to do that. They're they're much more of a, a team, but Rocket Watts individually, I think, is um, capable of taking over a game when he – I think we've seen that from him a couple times already this year. I mean, he going back to Duke, he had 20 points against Duke. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he, he played quite well. I mean, in D- Detroit, he, you know, it's funny because during that Detroit game, I sent out, I tweeted out something where it was like, Izzo would rather send a message to Rocket than win this game. You know, that's where the whole Izzo tanking, uh, yeah, sure. games theory came, came back into play. And I, you know, he did. He sat him down for long stretches of time and tried to see what happened. And then Rocket, you know, again, to his credit, came back, saw what needed to be done and went out and did it. And I, listen, you don't want to rely on that by any stretch, but, um, the ability, the, the fact that they have a guy who can do that is something that the Michigan State just doesn't have every year. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that's great. I will, I will say one of the things that concerned me again, not only against Duke, but against Western was, it's not just rocket, but sometimes this offense, it's, it's, it's clearly early in the season because they're just not humming, um, the way that you're used to seeing them the last few years in terms of passing the ball. Now, I think the beautiful thing is that that's just, I think that's just a time thing. Like you're just early in the season because that's their identity. They're going to have to share the ball. Otherwise, you know, listen, they've got more individual guys who can do it than they usually do, but if they want to win big, uh, and I'm sure they do, they're going to have to get back to that Cassius-like level of sharing the ball. That's just going to happen. And I agree. Like If, if you're not going to go do that and you're just going to try to out-talent out people, you're going to lose some games you shouldn't lose. So you mentioned um, Rocket, uh, who was being taken aside. And, and in his place, AJ, um, Hogman, the hog dog, the came hog in daddy. his place. And played more minutes in this game than I believe all the other four games this year combined. Um, really thrown into the fire. He was okay. Didn't handle it incredibly well. This was a grow up game and those are allowed. And that's why you play, you know, teams like Detroit and Oakland and Western Michigan. So you can grow up, um, folks that maybe wouldn't have the opportunity against Duke, Notre Dame, Virginia. This was AJ's opportunity. Um, I would say he didn't flinch. He was okay. Um, but we definitely were watching someone grow in real time. The other person that we watched take a big leap and not be afraid of, <laughs> well, he's never been afraid of taking the jumper. Gabe Brown came in four <laughs> for six from three. And the best part about Gabe Brown is he, he does two things. He's going to shoot three pointers and he might come and contest, uh, on defense. But he's had zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals. He's just no interest in doing anything but <laughs> but launching from deep and meeting you at the rim on the defensive end. And I kind he's, of admire He's taking three and D very literally uh, <laughs> when it comes to his role. Um, but I got to say, when I look at any of these three games, I, kind of my big takeaways, one of my big two of them we just covered off on first. I think Rocket really does look like a point guard now. He, you could see him grow, especially through these last few games. I thought uh, get a little more comfortable with playmaking as opposed to just taking his own shot. So I thought some real progress last week in that. And the other one was that the in terms of the shooting, that that Duke game was not just a blip for Gabe Brown because he came out. Or no, the, the Duke game was the blip for Gabe Brown because if you look at his his uh, his box scores, the other games, you know, he's got he's you know got twelve points, nine points, sixteen points, seven points. He's shooting you know almost forty eight percent from three, and that includes a night where he went over against Duke, and I think he was probably the most disappointing part of that entire game. But it looks like that was the blip as opposed to being the norm. And I think for a guy like Gabe Brown, who you're relying on, like you said, really for a very specific skill set, that's, 
um, that's kind of a big deal. And, and again, I think that you've seen him kind of take a step forward in his consistency. I don't know that his role is necessarily grown in terms of like what he's being asked to do or anything like that. But people are just, I think, if anything, saying just shoot it better than you did last year and you're <laughs> going to be a great part of this team. Um, and, and it's nice to see him doing that. My other big takeaway from this was that, um, in terms of the concern, and Gabe sort of plays into this, but that the guard defense worries me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in years past, you you would look at this roster maybe and think, wow, Rocket Watts, Josh Langford, like if you take that at face value, those are two really good defenders. But, um, you know, the reality of the situation is Rocky Watts is still a good defender. I wouldn't call him a great individual defender. Uh, he's still limited size. You know, he's only six one. So a bigger guard's going to have an advantage against him. And then Josh Langford at this point, you, you can't count on him for anything more than like slightly above pedestrian defense. I mean, like, like replacement level defense. He just is not moving the same way that he once did defensively. I think, you know, when you have those ankle injuries or really any type of lower leg injury or knee injury, like the lateral quickness is the part that's scary and what, you know, where that's really going to come to roost. And uh, that again, kind of is highlighted on the defensive end. So, you know, Josh hopefully is going to improve, but uh, if he doesn't, I think a very real concern for this team is that guard defense because I, you know Foster's not going to bring you tons. So you're not getting that off the bench. AJ Hoggard is, you know, hopefully something that can evolve into playing. I really, I was pretty optimistic on Hoggard, especially offensively. I think he's going to be pretty damn good. Uh, mm-hmm. He's just really decisive. I, I like his size, but um, defensively, you know, you, you can't expect a ton out of him. So where's your answer? You know, wh- where is that answer coming from? Aaron Henry can't can't can only defend three people at once. You're still going to have some leftovers. So uh, I think it'll be very interesting to see how that gets solved. That was probably the one of the two really big red flags that, that jumped out at me from these games. Well, the third red flag is that, you know, you get a scare against Detroit Mercy. Where you, did you have an off night? Were you not focused? You know, insert reason here, and you still pulled off a win. You, you would think that because of that, Western Michigan would have would have had Michigan State's full attention, and they didn't, and they came out flat again, and that was disappointing. Now they did win by 18. Um, believe the spread was 19, so brutal if you <laughs> bet on that. But, but they came out, yeah, they came out flat, and that's the frustrating part because you don't get to, you can only come out flat so many times. You did it against Duke. You did it against Detroit, and you did it against Western. I mean, at, in, in like, at what point do you say to yourself, you know, this can't happen anymore? You know, let's stop put, digging, putting ourselves in the holes here. This is just stupid. Yeah, I mean, that's a very real concern. Uh, and, again, it's one that, you know, I, I think everyone's hoping can be written off to the early season no fans stuff. But at the end of the day, like – at a certain point, you are what you are. And I think that's something that we discover every single college basketball season over and over again, uh, is that it's, it's only a tendency for a while. And then it just becomes your identity. And I think MSU's had this weird identity. It seems, this isn't the first year. This isn't even the first year recently. I feel like this has happened. This happened with Cassius Winston all the time where you'd come out and kind of be lazy and sloppy and turn the ball over and just kind of, that's just sort of who you were. And then you buckled up and tightened tighten things up and won games. 
it, it is kind of it's disconcerting early on um, that this is happening uh, because listen, as good as I think this team is, that's going to cost you games. That's the type of stuff, like dumb stuff, dumb minutes, dumb mistakes, dumb turnovers like that. That's what costs you games against good teams in, in what's going to be a very good conference. So uh, definitely another trend that, you know, listen, there's plenty of opportunities to correct it, including in just, well, tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Tuesday against a very, very good, well, maybe not a very, very good, but a good program in Virginia. So uh, opportunities to correct, but, you know, games against good teams, you can only start slow so many times. So I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's a concern. There was a couple other things that popped out at me uh, in terms of concerns against lower level competition, too. So so let me let me set you up here, because I think we're on the same page <laughs> with that. I, I think part of the issue is, you know, Tom is still trying to figure out who his starting five is, you know, and, and then and I think, you know, it's been pretty simplified. I wouldn't read he Aaron Henry, I don't believe started against Western. I don't think that's a thing. Nope. But but trying to trying to figure out, you know, what what can give this team the boost and energy, you know, like what is what is the five that's gonna get these guys, you know, running out of the gates, you know, hair on fire. And um frankly, I'm not sure if Marcus Bingham is that guy, because two things happen. Um, Titus Wright, Western Michigan center, 6'8", all 6'8", of him, um, who averaged 6.4 rebounds last year, had 16 and 10. And that wasn't just against Bingham. You know, that was against the center position um, for Michigan State. That's a huge red flag. And I think the issue yep. is, you know, you have four um, nice players at the center that can play the center position for Michigan State. All of them have strengths. All of them have um, glaring weaknesses. And, you know, you got to figure out which ones, you know, what are you rolling with? You know, and that's what Tom and Dwayne Stevens, you know, kind of have to figure out. You know, Marcus Bingham, he is an elite, and I mean like elite 99th percentile shot blocker in uh, the country. In fact, he averages a block for every 7 minutes and 38 seconds of gameplay, which is incredible. You didn't expect a block from him before the under-12 media timeout if he plays right. the whole time. But what else do you bring to the table? So, you know, I think you had some thoughts on, you know, that position in general. And, and frankly, what has to happen if Michigan State takes it, you know, from the fourth gear to the fifth? Yeah, and, and Bingham is the one who's going to catch the wrath on this one. Um, like you said, this isn't to, to say that, you know, he's this lost cause or he shouldn't play at all or anything like that. But here, here's my issue with Marcus Bingham. We know what he can do really well. We know he's an elite shot blocker. That's great. We know he has all the tools. He shot really well from three his freshman year. We've seen no improvement in, in really any facet of his game. Realistically, any facet of his game since his freshman year. I, I think it's time. And it's not only time because your team could really use it to be time, but it's time because you have guys behind you now that are very capable that have very high floors and that are good at things that you're not good at, or at least maybe you're good at in practice and are not good at in actual games against real competition. And this isn't, this isn't a middle of the road, big 10 program. This isn't a Mac team. This isn't division two. This is Michigan state. This is a team that has won back to back to back big 10 regular season titles and is looking to do it for a fourth time. This is a team that is ranked in the top five. That is really your piece away from being one of the 
three to four best teams with legitimate number one seed, legitimate regular season championship, and legitimate national championship aspirations. You are that missing piece. You are arguably the most important piece of this entire puzzle. It's time to play like it. You're great at one thing. The other part of it, you're seven feet tall and you're getting, you're getting one rebound against Western Michigan. That to me would, if I'm Tom Izzo, you are, I'm putting that guy on the pine. I cannot abide by Titus Wright posting up my seven footer and scoring on him in the paint. I just can't have that. So mm-hmm. it's either time to buckle up and figure this out, which means if you got to follow him, follow him, figure out a way to block a shot, figure out a way to front him, figure out a way to do something. But at this point, if, if, if there's not another step taken specifically defensively, like I don't even think he needs to do anything offensively last night against uh, Western. I think he ended up with eight points on four dunks. That's fine. Offensively, I don't think anybody should have any issue with him setting picks, rolling to the rim, and and rim running on fast breaks. That's all he needs to do and not turn the ball over. Offensively, he doesn't even have to do anything. You just have to be a more complete defender. It it seems like he should be this elite weak side defender, and yet guys back cut him all the time. He can't defend an individual post up against inferior talent. And it, it, it blows with any consistency. It blows my mind. He did a great job against Durham, I thought, from Notre Dame. And then the next three games, he's nowhere to be seen. So the, the level of consistency from Marcus Bingham needs to go up if this team is going to reach its ceiling ceiling. Now, there are other players that I think keep the floor really high, like a Julius Marble, for example, a Thomas Kitty. And I'm not even a Kithier fan per se, but you know he's going to be a garbage man and he's going to going to do, you know, high effort stuff and, and defend well in the post. Marble, I think, has a chance to be that plus plus. And offensively, Marble can hit a jump shot, which is something none of the other bigs aside from Joey Hauser can say. Um, Maddie Sissoko, I think, is just a, just a little too raw. But to that point, between Bingham and Sissoko, where's the line? I mean, like, what what is, I mean, technically, I mean, I realize that Bingham's got experience and he has that elite shot blocking trait. But if you think you can get more out of Matty Sissoko as an individual defender, at a certain point, it's worth exploring that route. And, and that's only going to happen if Bingham forces the hand. If he is still so clearly ineffective as an individual and team defender that he forces Tom, Tom Izzo's hand to ex- explore that. And now, before I hand it back to you, John, I know the advanced analytics are saying that he is this plus defender and all these things. Those numbers, as you confirmed to me, as our resident numbers guy, are heavily influenced by these block shots. It's like a 180 hitter that hits 50 bombs and has 50 RBIs in a year. It's like, oh, cool, you hit 50 homers, but you also hit one, you know, 10%, not 180, 100. You hit 10% of the balls that came your way. You're an ineffective player, ultimately. And that's, to me, what Marcus Bingham is. And I don't want to, you know, say that he should never play again but like you're no you're 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 an eight minute a game guy at this point in time and if people expect more or say why isn't Bingham playing it's because he's not good at any of the other parts of the game right now there's my rant John what no, do you think? No, it was healthy I think we grew together <laughs> it's all good and and you know just to to hammer home your point I think we this team this gets much better if Marcus Bingham is playing at a higher clip and how to do that is, is, is becoming a, a stronger rebounder, um, a more effective, uh, defender 
um, outside of blocking shots. You know, we can't keep yanking him out of games because Tom is upset he didn't hedge hard enough on the on the pick and roll again. Just that's back to Nick Ward, you know, sophomore year stuff. You know, just can't we can't play that game. You know, Marcus Bingham seventh on the team in total rebounds per forty minutes. It can't happen. AJ Hog AJ Hogdog can't be better. Stephen Izzo can't have nearly the same total rebounds per 40 minutes as you. Can't happen. Can't happen. So, you know, that's, that's the way to our hearts. You know, if, if he can start to become a more complete player, um, and, and you're going to start to see, um, cause like you said, Kithier is who he is and, you know, um, you love him for, it. uh, you, you mentioned Julius Marble has been a wonderful surprise. He can take, it's his job to take at this point. You know, you can only give Bingham so many more shots. He gave, he got every start last year. You know, everyone wants him to take the leap. It's got to happen. Um, big opportunity to do that you know, against Virginia here. Uh, a team. Yeah, absolutely. A team that is the third best defense in the country. Uh, 17th in Ken, bon- Ken Palm. Um, one of the more confounding teams in all of basketball, not just this year, but any year. I think I said to you, Austin, can you imagine being a fan of a program that on literally any given night, not just like a random thing could happen, but on any given night, your team could beat anyone and also literally lose to anyone that's above like a 300 Ken Palm rating? That is Virginia basketball because of the style they play. I don't think that I could could do it. I don't think I'm strong enough. Uh, mentally, I can barely, I can barely do what I do now. And that is a significantly lower risk for mind, mind melding upset. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the way I always look at Virginia basketball is you really have to love basketball to watch Virginia. Like oh, yeah. you just gotta, you gotta love the game of basketball, maybe even specifically the game of college basketball, because based on the style of, of basketball that they play, there's a very high floor, but there's also like a really low ceiling. Like there's just such a small margin for error because it, it this is one of those games where, like you said, Marcus Bingham has, has an opportunity to take a major step forward because this team and, and Pat his stats, if nothing else, because Virginia doesn't really rebound. And it's funny because you would think with, an, with a program like theirs that's so grounded in individual and team defense that you would think this, oh, this team's going to just dominate the glass. It, it's kind of wild because they really just don't even try specifically on the offensive end. Like they have a total through four games this year against not good competition. And mind you, with a ton of size on their roster, uh, they have 27 offensive rebounds. That is less than half. Well, no, just more than half than Michigan State has through through five games, uh, including a game against Duke. Like that, that is a crazy stat. They're very much a um, a one and done team. They're going to try to get one shot, and then they're just going to bail back and and play defense. They're not even necessarily interested in, in in offensive rebounds in a way so that i think severely limits your ceiling as a basketball team and, and i don't know man if i'm a virginia fan i i think i would just hate it so so you know, much you know it's uh, interesting it's, it's it's you say that and they take that one shot but it's a really really efficient shot yeah, they're exactly. they're uh you know shooting 57% from effective field goal uh, this year, which is 
damn good. And they, they really don't turn the ball over. You know, that's kind of their MO, right? So they're, they're going to pass it around until they get a good one and they're going to make sure there's, um, you're going to take away the fast break from, from not just Michigan State, but anybody. They do have size. Um, you know, their two best players are, are very large individuals. Uh, Jay Huff, a senior seven foot one. Um, that's going to test Marcus Bingham probably right out of the gate. And then, uh, Joey Hauser's brother, Sam, six eight senior, uh, who, who's playing very well. And so, and then sorry, then the third, probably their best, third best player, uh, might be Trey Murphy, the third, who is six nine. So they don't lack for size. It's just they're using it, um, not on the offensive class. So, uh, you know, Virginia, you, you all know the story, the loss to the 16 seed. Very next year, they won the national championship. This year, yeah. um, a lot more of the same. They uh, lost to the San Francisco Dons, um, who might be a little bit better than you think, but um, still San Francisco. It's still San Francisco. Who I I'm should sorry. note, who I should note, has more national championships than Virginia. So I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> and then they have an OT win over Kent State most recently. Most recently, so it's just a lot of question marks. You know, like, what team are you going to get here? Um, as I mentioned, um, I think if if you watch this game, you're going to see they play something called a pack line defense. That's what they're going on to do. Is it's it's something that's actually was carried over from uh, Wisconsin. Um, and so what they do, they're going to funnel you to the middle of the floor where there's um, everyone is there to help. And, and creates a lot of problems. You're, you might see Aaron Henry struggle with that. Aaron Henry's gotten a lot better at his no step, which is fantastic because last year he would take a dribble and kind of freak out, get lost <laughs> and not really know where to go next. That Euro step has um, done wonders for him. Um, dribbling to the middle here is, is a fool's errand and that's exactly what they want you to do. So, um, we'll see how Michigan State handles the dribble drive. Um, but if they're able to kick, dribble, drive, and kick, this is a, has Gabe Brown game written all over it. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think that this one really too is, you know, it's the Hauser Bowl, but specifically, I think Joey is in line for uh, a really big role in this game because corner threes are one of the more effective shots against this defense, as are just threes in general. Um, driving the ball again, not something that you're going to be able to do. Uh, a ton. I think one of the big keys here is a. If you if you're efficient in your shot making, you're always especially from range. You're going to have a chance against Virginia. And then the second thing is uh, hit the offensive glass because they're not going to do a ton of offensive rebounding against you. So if you're able to do it against them, that's big time difference um, in, in a place where you could pick up points on them. I, I think the really interesting thing will be like you said, MSU is not going to be able to get it on the fast break. We've seen it this year in the you know, a few previous years, that's where they do some really, really good work. I mean, we've seen Aaron Henry be effective as someone leading that. We've seen Hauser be effective and obviously Rocket Watts. Um, this will be a big test of how they can actually execute their offense. And I think if they can just continue, like you said previously, pass the ball efficiently, be those, you know, share it as much as possible to as many guys as possible and be efficient, it kind of plays into their hands a little bit. But you know, th- this is one where if Rocket Watts, if we get bad Rocket, this one could could uh, could not go our way. So you're absolutely right. They they're um, I, I believe will probably be favored by in Vegas 
for this game, but it'll be, a, as you can imagine, a lower score game, probably high 50s, low 60s. So Oof. strap in those, just like those old Wisconsin games where every possession seemingly matters, uh, which is great. I think there's a takeaway. One good note is that this Michigan State team is turning the ball over at a, a better clip than in years past. They've only had one really bad game so far as turnovers go. Uh, 18, excuse me, 18 against Eastern, which is terrible. 17 against Detroit, that was not really a, a true game as much as, as we mentioned, a track meet. So um, mm-hmm. Virginia is not going to play that way, but, but they are going to try and turn you over in a more conventional manner. So um, Michigan State limits the turnovers. They have a pretty good shot um, of handling this one, in my opinion. So I'm really excited for that one. Again, uh, another marquee matchup for, for Michigan State in the non-conference. And before you know it, you know, after this, the game, um, after against Oakland, we're hitting conference season, Austin. I know. It's insane. Um, it's exciting, especially because the Big Ten looks so good. It'll be a very fun season, but it, it is kind of insane. Before we jump ahead to Oakland, I, to me, this Virginia game is a big maturity test for this team. And, you know, listen, it's a lot of upperclassmen, so they should be able to answer the call. But um, how do you, you know, how do you bounce back after two, you know, slightly disappointing games? Can you stay disciplined in your approach because there's a very specific way to play to beat Virginia? Um, and this team's equipped to do it. It's just, can, can you answer that call? Can you play with that same type of grit and determination that you found, especially later on against Duke, you know, in that kind of the, after the first 10 minutes? Um, if so, I think they got a really good chance to win this game. But like you said, next game up is Oakland. Uh, I think it's fair to say they're not great. Mm. Uh, they're coming into this one ranked a, a, uh, a less than stellar 0-6, not ranked, but you know, they are 0-6. Um, it, but we've seen glimpses from Greg Campy's team this year where they, look pretty darn competent. And then there's some games where you're just like, whoa, what is going on here? Um, specifically, they took Michigan to overtime and they lost to OK State by only 13. Oklahoma State, who happens to have well, the odds on favorite for uh, the number one overall draft pick next year in Cade Cunningham. Um, not a bad team by any stretch. And they were tied with 11 minutes to go. And yet they also have games where they go out and lose by 52 to Xavier, uh, 43 to Purdue, 27 to Toledo. So I think the main question, John, is is what Oakland team shows up. My my bet would be the good one because that just seems to be what happens when MSU plays Oakland. Well, And by just, good, I mean not abysmal. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Michigan State always seems to get Oakland's best shot, and we would have it no other way. Uh, their best player this year is Jalen Moore, um, another really small guard, 5'11", 155, who seemingly have been having a lot of success against Michigan State. So um, he's averaging 15 points a game, but almost nearly four turnovers. So um, there's a huge opportunity there. Uh, Mika Parrish is uh, 6'6", 180. He's averaging four, seven, uh, five points a game, but he's the leading rebounder at, at just under six rebounds a game. So, again, he's 6'6", six, six, and he's the leading rebounder on the team. If Michigan State doesn't dominate the glass here, you know, at a certain point, there's going to be a, maybe a week's worth straight of um, putting on the pads and doing the uh, the <laughs> war deal. I mean, they, there's there's just no excuse. 
So, um, yeah, Michigan State should be a heavy favorite in this game. Um, wouldn't anticipate, I mean, probably over 20, maybe 25. Um, but Michigan State was showed they weren't able to handle it against Detroit. Um, and then again with Western Michigan. So, um, you know, see if they have their full attention on this one too. Yeah. I mean, this, so just to sum it up for this, this week in general to me is, we talked about him a lot already, but this is a big week for a guy like Marcus Bingham and these other dudes in the front court because you, you have two very specific opportunities. Like your your opportunity against Virginia is, you know, bang with them and don't make dumb mistakes. And, and if you can show up and, and play, you know, the way you're supposed to play uh, defensively and then offensively, if you can get, I, I mean, I think the difference in that game could be three offensive rebounds. I mean, that's, that's really what that game could come down to based on just the style they play and the fact that they are a really talented and big team. But, um, then you've got this game against Oakland, which is the other side of the coin where it's like, you should really show out and dominate that game. Like, they, they, let's not play, you know, listen, I love, love Greg Campy. Love what he's done for that program and the state and all the great games we've played against each other. It's not a good team. It's not a great rebounding team. You should go out and dominate that game. And if, if they're able to do that, I think we're all going to feel a lot better come uh, Big Ten regular season, which, like you said, is right around the corner. But uh, this, this is a big, big opportunity for them. I think it's it's it's, again, another opportunity for Rocket Watts, too. I mean, I think he's probably the guy that I look at in this Virginia game specifically as as the one that can either make it go real good or real bad because if, if you get he loves those little bit you know floaters from the middle of the paint those are not if if you're taking those shots Virginia's winning like they they are winning the game plan if, if it's a bunch of rocket floaters so and he shows a propensity to take them against teams that don't even consider that winning so uh, I I think big opportunity for him um, and and you know big opportunity for Joey go out and get the best of your brother and and, and get a dub on the books. Yeah, big, big uh, weekend or week for the Hauser family as a whole. I'm glad they already had Thanksgiving, so um could have been <laughs> ugly. Folks, let's take a uh, commercial break, and we'll come back and preview a football weekend to forget. But some also fun stuff happened, too, and we'll talk about that. Yeah, all right. Here we go. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Then we're back. Hello. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. So if you stayed with the entire uh, Saturday afternoon game, Michigan State lost 52 to 12, which sure, 12 points feels right. <laughs> um, it was by all stretches of the word bad. And, um, <laughs> I, that was Michigan State was overmatched in, in, in almost all areas. We will point out some good things. There were a couple good things. Um, Antoine Simmons is good. I, I, will, I will say okay. that. Um, he had 12 tackles. 
Um, so and two tackles for a loss. Michael Fletcher, a great bright spot. Two sacks, two tackles for a loss. Um, you know, I think that's it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wow, way to way to go there, John. I'll give one other shout out. Okay, I was impressed by Peyton Thorne. Okay. I know he threw one bad pick. Uh, and I know it didn't matter that he was good because the team sucked, but um, I think we've seen enough. Uh, a, well, first of all, I hope Rocky Lombardi's okay. He had absolutely no idea where he was after he got that got hit that one time mm-hmm. uh, that sent him out of the game. Um, it, but I think we've seen enough. I think we we saw you know consistently throughout the season what we needed to see from Rocky Lombardi. It's the, you know, we got, we got at least two games left. I think it's time for Mel Tucker to give, uh, to give Peyton Thorne the green light. Cause it's not like he came in and, and this team was still completely and totally inept. He put together a handful of nice drives. They, it looked like they almost changed the entire offense when he came in to start running some, you know, more shallow crossers and, and just completable passes. And like, listen, I don't know if that's an indictment of Rocky or an indictment of the offensive coordinator, but, you know, one, one way or the other, the offense got a lot more effective uh, as soon as uh, Peyton Thorne came into the game. So um, I, I would like to shout him out as well because, uh, you, you know, I think I saw enough to be, like, sort of excited. Well, hey, that's what that, we're looking that's for. It. That's a win, I guess. That's what we're looking for. You know, Rocky will always have the Northwestern win, and I stand And Michigan. And Michigan. Yeah, and I stand by that, not only with the Michigan win, which he literally won the game. Like, he threw with the per- – he and Ricky White won the game. And he also won the Northwestern game. You know, there's – Peyton Thorne can't beat Michigan and Northwestern. I'll stand nope. by that. The way I he agree. plays – Just like Tyler O'Connor had his moments, Andrew Maxwell had Wisconsin, Rocky Lombardi has Michigan and Northwestern. Yeah, absolutely, and he should be damn proud. And the, the reason there needs to be, we think that maybe a chapter will take place uh, flipped here to Peyton Thorne is because, one, head injuries are scary, you know. Um, yes. We'd yes. like to think that this this uh, coaching regime um, handles it a bit better than the last one. Uh, huh. I'm not, not going to get too far into that. But, uh, you know, if there's any reason that Rocky Lombardi has any semblance of – he shouldn't play. And so, but, uh, the other reason is, you know, Peyton Thorne, this is a youth movement program right now. Um, and, and with a game or potentially two to go, then I think you need to provide Peyton Thorne the opportunity to show this team and program what he has because it's become clear what the program is and has, um, with the current quarterback situation. And again, two yeah. big wins there, but you know what the ceiling is. So it's time to see what maybe someone else's ceiling is. And I think that's, that's well, right. And I, and I think we're still looking ahead, you know, next year, yeah. you know, assuming things, you know, all things are relative, you know, quote unquote normal, you're probably going to get spring practices. You're probably going to get summer practices. You're probably going to get fall practices. And frankly, at this point in time, you need to be, you, listen, you're playing for wins and losses, obviously, but you're also really, I mean, listen, they're two and four. Like you're not going anywhere. You might get to a bowl game because anybody can make a bowl game, which is cool if they mm-hmm. play them. Um, but re- in reality, you're trying to get guys that might not even for sure do, but just might have an impact on the on the rosters to come. 
uh, as much tick as possible. And listen, Peyton, just to be perfectly clear, Peyton Thorne could very well not be the answer. He might end up starting the rest of the season and never start again. It's very yep. possible. But you owe it to all of the players and coaches and fans and not, not fans. You don't really owe the fans anything, but you owe it to the players and coaches to find, like you said, find out what you have. And honestly, you've got a guy coming in this fall in Hamp Bay who, if, if the answer is not Peyton Thorne, clearly, then maybe Hamp Bay is the guy who gets some extra snaps in camp. Maybe you hit the grad transfer market a little harder. You need to set those dominoes up. And I think that's really the, the moral of the, what we're talking about and why I think it only makes sense to, to move forward in that way. Absolutely. So, you know, we won't spend too much time on Ohio State because, frankly, that is where this program aspires to be. You saw two 100-yard rushers. You saw a a wide receiver who went for 139 receiving yards. Um, and and the, the worst part is, is that Michigan State has a well above average defense. And you may not believe me, but they're 17th best SP plus defense in the country. It may not seem that way, but this defense is, they're not the problem. Ohio State's going to score 45 points a game. That's happening against almost anyone in the country outside of Alabama. And maybe them too, because their defense isn't that great. So, you know, I think it's just a matter of, it's the other side of the ball that I think you need to focus the ire or questions and, and they deserve all the questions because they've just been not producing <laughs> in spades. So, um, I mean, do you want to keep talking Ohio State or do you want to take, take, move yeah, on I mean, and pretend it never happened? Only thing I'll say in addition is that the, I think we still know we've got a run defense. I think is not as, I think to your point, the, the specifically the run defense. Listen, Ohio State broke off three huge runs in this game, and you can't just erase those and pretend they didn't happen. But aside from those three runs, Michigan State held uh, a very, very good offense to under um, four yards a carry. And I think the exciting part about that is Naquan Jones aside, Antoine Simmons aside, uh, obviously two very good players, but a lot of really good functional depth, especially in the, on that front four. Linebacker, a bit of a different story, but um, I think that's that's a program thing, and that's something they should be somewhat proud of. So, but but that's it. Yeah, I think I think what you need to do is you look at this game and you say that's where I I want to be, and that's what Ohio State's your measuring stick, for better or worse. And uh, she was just not there yet. Long that's way, all. long way to go, but some positive momentum on the uh, recruiting front. Maybe we'll have more information on that soon. Uh, specific, mm. and specifically in areas that are in need. So mm. let's take it. You don't say. I do say. <laughs> let's take a stroll around uh, the Big Ten here. Um, one quick shout out. My Coastal Carolina Chanticleers beat BYU 22 to 17. Mullets over Mormons, baby. The Chants are real. They should be a top 10 team. They are undefeated. And frankly, my biggest takeaway from this game beyond Coastal Carolina has the coolest field in the country, Teal, is that um, we can throw out the idea that you need to schedule football games 10 years down the road. Don't need to do it. Every single reason an AD says that they need to schedule football games years out because of logistics and all this bullshit, you don't need to do it. 
Coastal Carolina and BYU called each other on, I think, Tuesday and said, hey, you're on play. <laughs> and guess what? They did. And guess what? It was a really great product. It was good football. It was a great yeah. game. So I, let's just – let's. I wonder if there's any plus to this football season. If there's, like, a flex schedule – possibility much in the way we talked about a long time ago about like the big 10 having kind of like a crossover week where you don't know who it's going to be like why not it's it's it's, i'm with you it it makes too much sense especially for group of five programs who are handcuffed and they what if they just like bracket busters in college basketball you could have in the future coastal carolina and cincinnati call each other up and be like yo we got to play each other if we don't, then neither of us have a chance at a playoff. But if we play each other, maybe that win will bump us up into the fourth spot. You know, like they yeah. have to afford themselves that opportunity. They're just sending out you up texts Seriously. all over the place. All over. And I am here for it. Um, <laughs> Austin, let's flip through the Big Ten results. A couple fun ones. Northwestern Minnesota canceled, as we talked about. Same with Michigan and Maryland. But the games that were played – Nebraska beat Purdue 37 to 27. But what I want you to focus on is the fact that Rondell Moore had 13 receptions. David Bell, another Purdue receiver, had 10 receptions. And Purdue rushed for negative two yards. And that's, that, that's pretty awesome. I mean, that's, that's every, like, air raid dream come to life. That's like the, like, simulation has gone too far. (laughs) <laughs> when it comes to passing versus the running of the ball. Uh, but personally, I kind of love it. And listen, uh, that's, it's also one of those things where you beg coaches to give your best players the ball as many times as possible. And then they do it and everyone's like, whoa, that's crazy. But it's like, no, that's exactly what you've all wanted for the longest time. And I'm glad, uh, they're doing it at least. At least they're doing something weird and relevant down there in Purdue. Well, they still lost to West Lafayette. Purdue. Oh. Yeah, West Lafayette. They still lost by double digits to Nebraska, which actually, folks, blah, blah, hear, me blah, out. John. hear me out. It's a good thing because much like Michigan, they love to feel themselves in these wins. And they like to rewatch those games and say, like, hey, if only this, that, and the other. Like, and they'll keep <laughs> Scott, Scott Cross forever. It's a beautiful thing. Hmm. Um, okay, another game. Iowa beat Illinois 35-21. to it's exactly what you thought would happen. The most important takeaway in this game is Austin is that Iowa is now ranked 19th. Oh, God. It feels so good. Again, like you said earlier, in these trying times, it's really nice that some, some semi sense of normalcy really just, you know, it, like 18, 19 just feels, it's just like a nice little homey thing that Iowa can tuck themselves into and say, ah, yes, we are where we're meant to be. Uh, it just feels good. It's home. Home it's home. is where the heart is and where Iowa football is home is at 18 and 19. Um, Absolutely. Penn State beat Rutgers 23 to 7. The Nittany Lions ran the ball 57 times this game. And I'm here for it. I think that's great. That's Big Ten football. Penn State went full, full inverse of, uh, Purdue's game plan. Yes. It's a lot of carries. Uh, it worked. Um, again, they won 23 to 7. Pretty much the score you'd expect. You know, I mean, I don't know. Sure. Yeah, it's exactly what you'd think. The, the score you wouldn't think is Indiana 14, Wisconsin 6. And here's my takeaway. 
Indiana playing with a backup quarterback, Jack Tuttle, great name. This is two years in a row where Wisconsin has talked openly about playoffs and then sucked. Are is <laughs> are the Badgers the new Michigan? Oof, damning. Um, Talk about it. It's a fair listen. It's a it's a fair question. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, what's a you know. Uh, <laughs> What's I can't Paul Chris has got it. He got to tread lightly, man, because there there's a point at which um, the folks are not going to be happy, and you just keep setting yourself up, like you said. You know, you can't. The the locals are gonna the, the natives are gonna get restless here if if you don't start cashing in on some of these uh, seven promises. Points, seven points against Northwestern, followed up the next week with six points against Indiana. Listen, it's not like you're playing at Ohio game. State. No, and here's the other part. Like this is with Graham Mertz out there. Oh, Graham yeah. Mertz is like the big flashy guy that you went out and got, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden he's like, just another Wisconsin quarterback. Like what's up? Is he just is he bad? Are he's we gonna do that? A- like is this is this what's happening? The, again, he might is- be bad. Michigan, they have Michigan's rubbing off on a little bit of too much quarterback hype. They started feeling themselves, yeah. and then look what happened. So, tread lightly, Badgers. We got our eye on you. Um, yeah, so, I'm going to play careful. a quick game. Sorry? I said, you got to be careful. Don't fly too close to the sun. You don't, you know, stay low. Stay low, Badgers. Trust us on that one. I'm going to play a quick game, <laughs> Austin, called Playoff Pretender or Contender. Gonna give you three teams and you're gonna get your responses. This week we have Cincinnati sets them up nicely with a game at number 24 Tulsa. Time to ask question. Nine and O Bearcats. Uh, is that better than a five and O Buckeyes team? People are talking. What do you think? No. Okay. Are they pretenders <laughs> or contenders? <laughs> um, I'm gonna say. I'm still going to say they're a contender if only because there are still games on the schedule to be played. Um, And if they go undefeated, I think you have to listen, but you only have to listen in so far as did Ohio State win the Big Ten? Is there another Power Five team that's one loss that's a conference champion? Okay, then, yeah, let's, you know, moving on. We've we've found our guys. So, um, yeah, I don't know that it's – I don't know. Cincinnati's in a a tough spot. I'm going to say contender, but tentative. Fair enough. Okay. LSU at Florida. Florida's only loss is to Texas A&M, and they get Alabama next week in the SEC championship game. And be careful not to look too far ahead. Let me just point that out. But is Florida a pretender or a contender? Uh, I'm going to say they're a contender. I mean, I think that offense is real. Like, that's – that's Kyle Trapp. Kyle Trask is, has next Bears quarterback that's good in college and bad. Oh, oh nice. So, um, but he's still in college. So good. Luckily for him, you know, he's going to be good for a little while longer. Um, I think they're really good, man. They, they, Kyle Pitts is the real deal. Trevon Grimes. I know they've got Kadarius Tony. I mean, that's, that offense is going to be able to go. Now, whether they can slow down, bam, is a whole nother question. But I, listen, I'm going to watch the game. I'm going to still say they're a contender as well. Okay, so um, it, I think I've said this on the pod before, but I think it's just worth noting. Kyle Trask didn't play a uh, didn't start in high school, didn't start a single game in high school, had almost no offers out of high school, and 
now he's legitimately a Heisman candidate to over 3,200 yards on the season today. He played behind Derek King, Miami's quarterback, um, formerly Houston's quarterback, who set Texas high school football records left and right. So I just think that's a fun aside. Um, but I'm going to jump to the last of our three contender pretenders. We have number five, Texas A&M, who hosts Ole Miss this week. And I want to note one thing before I hand it back. Uh, SCFS Spartan Seahawk noted to us in the comments of, of one of the pods, Jimbo Fisher and that reserve national championship trophy is starting to become a possibility. Austin, how much is the replica going to be worth if they won it all? Or is it actually worth more if they never win it all? (laughs) I love this question. Uh, I'm going to say it's uh, the, um, the appeal of what could be will always outweigh if they won it. Like the, the, I think the novelty of, of them never having actually won it would be worth more. Um, I don't like, I'm never going to take Texas A&M seriously until they do it. So I'm going to say they're a pretender. Like, even though I know Jimbo's been there, done it. Um, I, that's one I'm not buying until I see it with my own eyes where I'm like, damn, wow, they actually did it. Okay. Just (laughs) pat them on the back and move on. Um, that's kind of how I, I feel about A&M. Well, you know, Texas A&M looking squarely at Florida is the only way they can make it in, really, because mm-hmm. um, this is their, I believe, last game. They might have a uh, a reschedule coming up, but but um, uh, they, they're going to have to backdoor their way into the playoff. But, uh, yeah, thank you for the question. And I, I'm with you on the rep club being worth more if they never win, because Texas boosters, they're our tribal. Can you imagine the bidding war for that thing? Like, it it would go crazy for it. Um, All right. Quick week eight schedule for the Big Ten. Uh, Illinois at Northwestern rivalry week on a game that truly doesn't matter because Northwestern's already in the Big Ten (laughs) West Championship. Frankly, does Northwestern even, like, play their best players? Like, this is people can get hurt, you know? Like, I don't know why you would do it. So just my thought. If it was another school aside from Northwestern, I'd say they might be smart and keep guys out. And even though I know Northwestern is obviously great school, great education as a Medill grad, um, <laughs> I just, I feel like they're too tough guy. They're going to play all their dudes and they're going to play as hard as they can. Okay. Or high water. It's too much of a football guy to do anything else. I believe it. That, that's fair. Um, Pat Fitzgerald's name recently floated, uh, I believe, for the Bears job. Um, (laughs) I would, what I would give to see that boring ass, terrible style of football (laughs) to the Bears and flame out in spectacular fashion. Listen, if we could ruin both the nearby football programs here in one fell swoop, I am. Where do I sign? Like, you just, just fax me the paperwork. I'm in. Literally, that's, right. Dan, that's literally, dude, Dan Gilbert signing John Beeline away from Michigan and ruining yes. both Michigan and the Cavs simultaneously. Great work. <laughs> um, one stroke of the pen just takes it all down. Oh, I'm all in. I'm all in. All right, Rutgers heads to Maryland this week, which is relevant for only one reason and one reason only, and I'll get to it. Don't even have time for it right now because I just am tired of talking about the fact that they're playing. Minnesota travels to Nebraska. Minnesota openly talking about how undermatched they are in this game because of the number of players they have that will be traveling. 
Nebraska's a uh, nine-and-a-half-point favorite. Listen, you might want to go get that right now if what P.J. Fleck is saying is true because they're traveling light this week as far as personnel goes. So, um, yeah, make some money maybe. Um, Indiana takes on Purdue. Indiana, um, heavy favorite in this one. Um, but they're frankly looking directly at Michigan, Ohio State, because this game won't matter if Ohio State plays, because if they play, they, they're going to beat Michigan soundly. Yeah. The spread opened at 30, 30 for the Ohio State Michigan game. Oh my God. I hadn't seen that until just now. Wow. And I'm going to play. That's awesome. I'm, I'm going to play, um, Galaxy brain for you. Yes. Jim Harbaugh said the only way that he could could maybe even compete with Ohio State is if they had a week to prepare. So they threw the Maryland game because it didn't matter. <laughs> and much in the way we needed a week to beat Northwestern to prepare, I, I'm not saying Michigan has a chance. I'm just saying I think that they're – this was the only way to me even make it competitive. Just my thoughts. Um, uh, what do you think? I hope it's competitive. No, I really hope it's competitive. I genuinely do because I just nothing is more enjoyable than the heartbreak. I mean, to watch them get so tantalizingly close and then lose, like have Michigan fans talk themselves into and out of Jim Harbaugh like four times in the same game is everything I could ever ask for. So. Um, yeah, I, I hope it, it, it's like the, the one from a few years ago where it was like 35, 35 in the third quarter. And then it ended up being like 62, 38 at the end of the game. Like if we can yeah. get enough of those, um, um, again, where do I sign? Um, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll be, that is going to be an interesting, fun event. But in reality, Ohio state is going to beat the breaks, <laughs> the Breaks off of Michigan. 52 to 12 is not a score that's outside of the realm of possibility. That seems generous. Uh, Wisconsin, Iowa in the Big Ten game of the week. Um, you know, I think Iowa probably is the, they're the favorite here. I think they're, they seem like the obvious heavy favorite to me. Iowa, I think we said a long time ago, I think I said, I thought they were better than Indiana, even with Michael uh, mm-hmm. Penix. Um, Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Unfortunately, we'll never know. Um, because if Iowa wins, um, they'll probably match up with Indiana in the crossover game. And I said back there, the Maryland Rutgers game has relevance. And, and it is only so that if every favorite wins this week, then Michigan State will probably uh, be playing Minnesota in a crossover game. Now, these crossover games aren't guaranteed, and frankly, both teams would have to kind of opt in to them, I believe, and I don't know where they'll be played. That hasn't been decided yet. So um, just of note, if you're kind of looking ahead to say who could Michigan State be playing after Penn State, if everyone, all the favorites win, it'll be uh, against against Minnesota. Now, if all the favorites win and uh, Michigan State upsets Penn State this weekend, then Michigan State will probably end up finishing in fourth place and facing off against Wisconsin in the crossover game. So just, you know, keep that in mind as, as all this chaos continues to, to play out. And so um, that takes us to the Penn State game also. And right. uh, <laughs> afternoon game on Saturday, it's land-grant 
trophy season. I need a little more enthusiasm over there. I mean, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's my fault. I forgot br- briefly about the trophy. You're right. Let's go. I'm ready to win. Bring that monster crap back home. Uh, it's time to it's time to bring it back home. Laser uh, week, baby. That's right. Uh, Penn State opens is about a 14 point fave. Um, he, here's here's the deal. Michigan State's <laughs> defense can handle their offense. Their offense is not good. Michigan State's defense right. is. Is is any I would even say much better than their offense. Where it gets hairy is Penn State's defense is as good as ours. If, if you haven't been watching, and bless you for it, Michigan State's offense is the worst, the stinkiest. <laughs> it's bad. So unless something you unless something drastically changes, a la Peyton Thorne gets the start and um, has a makes a deal with the devil and is just fantastic, then then we might have a ball game on our hands, okay? But the good news is it'll probably be low scoring either way, and that's always a recipe for an upset. Yeah, I mean, and it, the crazy part is that it, is, it would still be an upset, despite the fact that Penn State has also only won two games this season. Um, like, listen, it, I think you kind of nailed it on the head. The Michigan State defense versus the Penn State offense is not going to be the problem. I mean, Sean Clifford coming into this year was, you know, probably even people saying, you know, sneaky dark horse candidate has been boo-boo this year. 12 touchdowns, nine picks. Yeah. Uh, not doing a ton on the ground, which he did a little a little bit previously. Um, and then not only is he not doing – not completing a ton of his passes – not only is that happening, they don't have a single rusher over 300 yards. We're seven games into the season. Yeah, they got a little bit of balance, but it's it's like all bad balance. So does that re- is that really balance at all? Some are asking. Um, either way, it, it, the offense versus the defense, the Penn State offense versus Michigan State defense, not going to be the issue for Michigan State. I think they actually have the opportunity uh, if they're able to make a couple of you know kind of win that um, turnover battle to really make this you know, to actually keep this pretty close. It's just a matter of whether they can do anything on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Penn State, and I mean, MSU's lucky. Their, their best player, one of the best players in the country, their their uh, linebacker, Micah Parsons, opted out of this season. It's probably going to be a top 10 pick, despite being a linebacker. That should tell you how, how good he is. Um, he's out, but they still have guys like uh, one of my favorite named players in all of the land, Shaka Tony. Uh, he is a defensive end. He's got four sacks in seven games. You know, not, not nothing, you know, mind blowing, but still a really good player. And, you know, Michigan State's offensive line improved certainly, but not, not anything close to a vintage good offensive line. So, um, yeah, this is a tough test for Peyton Thorne, gonna be honest. If this is, <laughs> what would it be, his second career start at Penn State, not gonna be the easiest place. He's lucky nobody's gonna be there. Uh, this isn't an unwinnable game. Um, you know, it would be a surprise, but it's not an unwinnable game uh, as as it looked at the beginning of the season. Now, John, I have a question for you. Like, knowing what we know, let's say MSU finds a way to win this game. And it's, you know, another close shave like it was against Northwestern. <laughs> like, if you, how do you even define this first regular season for Mel Tucker? Because he'd be three and four. But his wins would be at Penn State, at Michigan, and at home against the top 10 Northwestern team, while his losses are at home against Rutgers, 
absolute blowouts at the hands of Iowa and Ohio State and then a shutout at the hands of Indiana. But none of that makes any sense to me. Like all of that is a big like quandary. So I'm wondering what how do you define that regular season? Just like half or what? Well, it makes all the sense in the world, much in the way that when we received word, I think back in uh, March, that murder hornets were on their way to the United States. No one flying. <laughs> Didn't matter. Nothing can affect me anymore. I'm broke. This is, <laughs> I accept your chaos and I need it. It's the only way I'm sustained. So uh, to me, thank you, Mel, because your insanity, week to week insanity has brought, brought me warmth in this trying time. I, I don't know if you can have any takeaways from a year zero in general, but this year zero in particular, you just kind of, you literally throw out because except for two things, you, you throw out the fact that when it's bad, it's really bad. You throw it out because, because I think what you saw is just kind of a lack of talent when the bad is really bad. Right. Yep. There's certainly some bad coaching there too. Don't get me wrong. We'll get into that as the season ends, wraps up. Then the other takeaway is the guy does need a little bit of truly time to instill an offense and defensive like identity, the playbooks. Yeah. As a start, um, you know, he didn't have the luxury of camp. I, I think. I just kind of throw, these were all exhibitions this year for me to answer the question. Yeah, but it, I think you, you're right. Like you kind of can't take anything away from it. If I'm taking one thing away from it, it's the fact that Michigan State beat Michigan. I mean, that's really the only sure. thing that I'm remembering about this year because I think you're right. I think ultimately it, the bad, bad was just a, just talent. It's just a talent gap. I don't think any of it is scheme or anything like that. I don't think it's possible to read into that at this point. You're just not as good a team as your competitors at a certain point, um, especially the Ohio State games. So, uh, But I just think it's interesting because I think usually with the first-year coach, you can kind of say, hey, this was this lived up to the hype. This this let me down in certain areas. But, you know, I, it, it, I think the one thing that I would be looking for moving forward, it, it'd be crazy. It's just, you know, the, the thing that's blowing my mind and I think is successful no matter what is we're sitting here one week from the end of the season and this is maybe stretching, but uh, very possibly looking at a big 10 total season. Now that includes the crossover game. Michigan state could finish 500. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And I think if they're able to do that, which would mean obviously winning the next two games, which is by no means any, any a given or even likely uh, I think you have to come away just incredibly excited about what the future uh, could hold for, for Mel Tucker. And listen, even if he doesn't, even if he loses the next two, you're not going to come away, you know, shocked and disappointed. So I, it's kind of like a, like you said, at the end of the day, it's kind of all exhibitions at this point, but I'm hoping, you know, personally, I'm hoping that they can get this win this week. Cause if you're playing for 500 against a team that is in your same place in your division, that's not a, undoable thing so that would be pretty exciting msc seems to have penn state's number even when penn state is more talented at least we've seen that Mm -hmm. in more recent years um yeah i mean what penn state has gotten a little bit unlucky i'll put it out there um they're better than their two and five record but they're also but they've also had some criminal coaching decisions 
um, not just in game, but the fact that Pat Fryermuth, um, the number one tight end, I think in the entire class, uh, yeah. for this coming draft has, has only has 310 yards receiving is a crime. One touchdown. Yeah. Um, and he's the best player on the field for the offense. They're, they're, they have no running game to speak of, as you mentioned. Sean Clifford and Will Levis, the backup, uh, quarterback, um, are their second and fourth leading rushers. It can't happen. You know, and so I'm just very unimpressed with their offense. And hey, you don't turn the ball over and you get one, one finally, you know, a bounce in the right direction, um, for Michigan State. They totally can win this game. I mean, they're not, this is not, the talent gap isn't as nearly as severe as Ohio State, but there is a reason it is a two touchdown, um, uh, favorite yeah. over the Spartans. Uh, yeah, like like you said, the, I think where the talent gap comes in is their defense versus Michigan State's offense. It's, that's that's going to be a tough, that's going to be a tall task for for MSU. But I think that Penn State's the type of team where if you can put twenty four points on the board, you've got a you've got a real chance at winning. Maybe not even that much. It, it might genu- genuinely be require less. So uh, those are the types of games that MSU actually has a chance of pulling off this year. So we'll see. But um, either way. Just enjoy it. It's more football. It's going to be gone before you know it. So we might not even get bowl games this year. So just enjoy it for what it's worth uh, and know that you can go into the off season knowing, regardless of the outcome of this season, that better things are are on their way, and I think in fairly short order. Well, and Austin, I'll tell you this. If you, if you watch the game and even if things aren't going our way, um, just log on to Twitter because we'll just start a, a, a another thread of – of memes that make us laugh. And yes. um, that got us through the second half pretty much. So I, I can, we'll, we'll be there through all of it. Yeah. No, misery loves company. So guys, please join us. If, if things, whether things go right or wrong, we'll be there. Anything else, John? No, uh, I'm ready for no. a couple of hoops games in a football game and, and uh, can't complain. Yeah. Looking forward to some, some good overreactions here from the entire gang. Uh, against Virginia. Just try not to get too upset. Just That's me just giving advice to everybody because I'll be getting frustrated for all of us. Um, all right, guys, as always, thanks for sticking with us. For John, this has been Austin, and we will catch you later. See you.